Thank you so much for listening to the audio version of our podcast. If you prefer an extended cut version with extra content, there's a link to our YouTube page on our website at letgoddie.com or you can follow us on Facebook. Also on our website, we have a support tab. If you'd like to contribute to what we're doing and help us continue sharing the stories of God at work, you'll find a link to our Patreon page where you can pledge as low as $1 a month and help us continue putting out episodes of the podcast. Most of our episodes do contain some content and language not suitable for children. Thank you for your time and on to the show. Welcome to Let God Die, the weekly podcast sharing stories of God transforming lives through changing perceptions of who He is and what it means to follow Him. We believe that commonly those who reject God haven't experienced the truth of who He is, and that those who follow God often have false expectations or understandings. Together, we can take those perceptions of God and let them die, so God can live. All right, this is the Let God Die podcast. This is Josh. And this is Calvin. We are doing reposts of some old episodes that have impacted us uh, the most, that have stayed with us. Um, And the reason that we're doing this, I'm working on a new project. Um, Not sure of the release date of it, uh, but if you want to keep up with with that and current projects that I'm working on, past projects, um, you can head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Mozug Media. That'll just be kind of like a hub of projects that I'm working on and have worked on. Um, so, uh, Calvin, what uh, what episode did you choose uh, to talk about today that has stayed with you? Uh, the episode that I've chose today is the uh, Tommy Green episode that we did. Um, we recorded live with him at Unified Underground. I believe it was, I want to say at least three or four years ago. Yeah, it was, ago? Yeah, it was three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was really cool getting to talk to him because, like, I guess he has such a prominent, I guess, like, position within, I guess, like, underground circles as, like, not only, like, the screamer, one of the most, like, fundamental, like, hardcore, like, Christian bands ever, but also just, like, as a dude as a dad, you know, and hearing his story from beginning to end about how broken his marriage was and how broken his life was before he came to know Jesus and even the redemption that happened through that story, the Lord took a broken kid who had really believed in not much of anything most of his life to really using him to be like a a moving force and like advancing the kingdom of God and like helping people who are in, um, not necessarily who feel like the most rejected, who feel like the most like undervalued to know that Jesus has a purpose for them. And not only that, but their purpose has great and powerful um, like influence behind it. Mm-hmm. So I think his story would be a really cool one to share again. Cool. Yeah. And that was episode 37. And uh, our subtitle with that was radically rescued from regret and shame. Um, so similar to the last episode that Calvin brought up, um, episode 74 with Joel Keim. Um, this one, um, I feel like this and Joel's are the two that I usually tell people about the most. Um, yeah. And I think because both of them deal with um, just like irreversible choices that had devastating results and having to live the rest of their lives knowing that, you know, what they did yeah. caused something horrible to happen, um, yet finding... Um, yeah, finding the acceptance of forgiveness in those things 
um, and like that changing the trajectory of their life forever. So yeah, because it is easy to find an identity in in something that you did wrong or in ways that you've completely messed up. And for a lot of people, um, unfortunately, who don't like believe in the power of God or believe the gospel, they have the hardest time recovering. You know, from trying to separate themselves from what they did. Mm -hmm. um, but to see that power displayed through Tommy's life, and even in a process that was far from perfect, but um, his willingness to like see it through brought a lot of clarity, I guess, which is better than saying like healing, more like clarity over time. Yeah. Good word. Yeah, so this yeah. is um, a part of our conversation with Tommy Green from episode 37. All right, this is the Let God Die podcast. This is Josh. And this is Calvin. And we're joined by Tommy Green. Hi. Tommy, uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself. Um, where are you from and what do you do? I'm originally from California, but I've lived in Salt Lake for the last 10, 10 years, 10 and a half years, something like that. And so uh, I have been doing a, a handful of things. I am a, I guess you could say like evangelist and like church planner primarily. And I sing in a Christian hardcore metal band called Sleep Giant. That's what I do for a living. And then what I do for an income is I am in real estate. So I'm a realtor and I help people buy and sell houses and stuff. And so, so that's what I, yeah. So I, you know, ministry stuff and then work stuff. But, and then I, I have a, a absolutely incredible wife. Her name is Chrissy. And then I have uh, three little kids oh, and, yeah. a, and a fourth on the way. How old are they? Nice. My daughter, Marin, is like turning 16 in oh, August. Really? And then I have my son. My man cub is turning six on wow. like the 15th. So just a handful of days from now. My daughter, Piper, is, is three. And then we're going to have a little girl in November. So wow. that's going to be insane. So that's I'm a like a dad for sure. <laughs> I'm like 100% not cool dad guy so that's yeah that's what i that's who who i am is tommy green what i do is all of those things yeah <laughs> yeah so it, it's interesting because i'm personally not super familiar with your music great but i am familiar with um just like seeing clips of you speak oh um, cool yeah good which uh that's what really stood out to me and was one of the reasons that i wanted to sit down that's with what, you that's where it all started i got really my life got radically changed and and i really was uh got rescued in a lot of ways i, I really feel that when people say they were like saved or god saved, it's like i really did get like saved from really significant things all those years ago in in california and so i was really into just wanting to tell people about him and and have community around mm -hmm. him i wanted jesus to be the <clears throat> kind of campfire that we all gathered to that was really that was it man that was like mm -hmm. it was great life for me and then i was a part of the music scene but i had really i was just a dad to my daughter Marin. she was very little at the mm -hmm. time and i was dad and pastor guy and that like preacher guy you know the, yeah. that was and that was my life and i was pumped and then the band kind of happened so like the first well not first love but i guess like you had that love for evangelism before the music yeah i mean i was in the music i loved it and then i got saved in the midst of being just a hardcore kid mm -hmm. and didn't leave because my you know i had christian friends that were part of it and then when i really met jesus for myself uh, you know i was stoked i just it was still my culture and i was like yeah whatever but i really was i was just about like god stuff first and i and i and i was a single dad at that point so it was like in many ways it was like my daughter and then 
you know, ministry stuff. And so I had my hands full, you know, in my life. And so the band was fun, but preaching and sharing Jesus with people was primary. And so it's Mm -hmm. interesting that, you know, the platform visibility wise comes from the band first, but I'm grateful that you, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like you got to see me in the right order. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm used to, I mean, you know, I, I feel like most people do pursue it in the opposite order, you know, wanting the spotlight and then prior, you know, I think it can be easy and that's what people see, right? They yeah. see they, they can, that's what, yeah, that's what shows up first. If you look it up, it's like, it's going to be a bunch of music videos before it's going to be me doing a Sunday service with my community or something. It's like, that's, you know, that's what we get. That's what we get to see most of the time. <laughs> that is what comes first. So I'm grateful. So yeah, it, it's a great band. I get a kick out of playing music and, it's been a big chapter in my life and but um <clears throat> sometimes it's sometimes it's a really fair representation of my passion but a lot of times even the music itself isn't a full representation of the sound that I carry on the inside mm-hmm. and so it's it's a vehicle but it's not you know who I am completely so it's cool that's awesome i feel like the holy spirit plays a huge part in like you know making that like very evident like with a person who gets saved like they realize the priority first is christ like Christ and preaching Christ crucified. Then apart from that, I do all these other things. But first things first, like I'm a Christian. Yeah, I would hope so. I've, I really do feel like it's the it's healthy, or and it makes more sense to me. But then, you know that that really makes and it's narrow. And maybe that's cool. But it, I do feel like I think that makes the most sense. Watching, <clears throat> seeing it work that way in my life, and then watching how it works for so many other people that are trying to get him almost on the run like understand it in the midst of everything and i go man like i'm so glad that my life like fell apart so i had to like start over in so many ways he got to really become the core of my i think more of my true like identity in um in life and so I, I really wish I, I hope sometimes that people would make that decision where it's like it really does when you're marked and you're kind of like ruined by God yeah <laughs> whew, it's a better way to build I think sometimes yeah. but a lot of people they take a long time to come to the end of themselves and go you know what God like I, I'll follow your lead I really will like I can trust you with mm-hmm. me I think a lot of people have a hard time trusting him first and and maybe saying like yeah you can be lord of my life like if that's scary to people i can understand why but mm-hmm. when you have been so almost like in my opinion of myself the story that i tell myself is what i should say i guess the story i tell myself most time is like i was so untrustworthy with with integrity with character with my gifting with my influence with my voice with my passion i was so like untrustworthy with life that to kind of lose it completely was an amazing thing to happen to me mm-hmm. because now I got, it's like God gives it back. And then I'm like, Oh my gosh, like really? Like you would trust me with this thing. Like I broke it before. Like I wrecked my name. I need to like borrow yours because mine, <laughs> mine is shot. Like, and he's like, no, I'll give you your name back. Like I'll re- like, I can really make so much new that blows my mind. But a lot of people don't, I don't know if they really get there and it feels like it it's it feels like it happens less and less frequently just with people and I don't know if it's happening all over the world and it's cool but just kind of in our own little culture sometimes I'm like did you actually get saved do you know right. you got saved like you're saved like 
crazy. Mm. Some of y'all need to get saved. Like that's how I feel. But <laughs> all that to be said, I, I'm glad you. I'm glad you aren't super familiar with the band. Yeah, um, <laughs> and that's awesome. I mean, like you, the phrase that you use, it being a vehicle. You know, that's one thing that I feel like is a lesson that I constantly have to learn over and over and over, is that the things that I'm passionate about are just tools. You know, mm -hmm. they are just vehicles. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time I like the thing, you know, and sometimes that takes place of the purpose behind the thing. And this is just like, I don't know, I guess a dumb personal example that I think of a lot, but like I like, I like basketball, like I like it quite a bit. Um, and I used to get guys together to play basketball way back in the day. I'm out of shape now. But uh, <laughs> at the time, like it was a tool to really like get to know guys and do life together. Um, and there was a point in time when it became more about like playing basketball together. And uh, yeah, I, I just noticed that like there wasn't purpose there, you know? Um, and that was just like a very simple, minuscule mm. th version, you know? But um, that's one of those things that I'm constantly just like coming back to is like, you know, my house is a tool, like doing poetry is a tool, you know, like conversation, community even like is a tool like to, I don't know, um, disciple and to grow in Christ. I would like throw this out as well. And I, and it's just to sort of challenge the part of us that would become so fixated on mission that we forget about living. Mm. But I was reading a book by a lady named Brene Brown and it's called the gifts of imperfection. And she talked about in her research of, of, and study of people that lived what she would call wholehearted lives. They like children had a very simple understanding and practice of play play for no other reason than like we need it hmm. and so as much as everything i would say like as opposed to basketball and it not having purpose i'm like yes sometimes the purpose is just play yeah yeah and that's good and then i would say that ministry in a vehicle to me i think about my journey here to go from salt lake city to grand rapids and to be like i drove my car to the airport and then i took a plane and i took a plane to get here but then i had to get in, in shane's car so that we could drive to this location. And and I think sometimes in ministry or in a job or in a whatever, if the ultimate goal is, is fullness, is destiny, is let's say the ultimate goal is like <clears throat> everything on earth, working with everything in heaven to give Jesus the fullness of his inheritance. So like we're all supposed to work together with everything else that's working mm -hmm. to just tell Jesus like how awesome he is and like give him everything you paid for. Right. So that's the end goal. Whatever vehicle, be it a job, a mission, movement, a position in ministry, mm. relationship, community. If they're just a tool, it takes like the life out of it. But like it would be as if my destiny and my goal in Jesus is to like to know him and enjoy him forever. Right. So like, let's say that, the way that we talk about this, like a vehicle, it'd be like me falling so in love with being in the plane that I took five extra trips on the plane once I landed in Grand Rapids. And it's like, I just sh should have gotten out of that vehicle a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So that I could really get to where I need to go. You know, it's like, while I love planes, now is not the time to stay in this plane because this vehicle got me where I needed to go. And now I get out and I get in a new one. And I, so, I, but I, I had a dream about that uh, probably a year and a half ago. And, and in the dream, uh, a really well, someone in real life, uh, Sir Richard Branson that runs Virgin. He was in this four by four and he drove by me in a four by four. And I was in this driveway in this, in this house, there's all these cars behind me. And I was conscious of the fact that they weren't my cars. 
Like they weren't my vehicles, but like mm-hmm. I, it was my place. Like I, that's where I was in the dream. Uh, and he drove up and he, and he stopped, he rolled down the window and he looked at me and he said, hey, I'll, you really need to trade me one of your vehicles. Hmm. And the implication is like, you give me one that, I, that you have, I'll give you what I have. And in my heart, in the dream, I was like, yes, like immediately. Because <laughs> to me, it was like he represented royalty. He represented uh, maybe influence or uh, success or whatever it was. And I was at a season where I needed to figure out what my priorities were. And it was as if he was like a representative of somewhere from from God, like royalty and and authority saying, hey, give me one of the vehicles that you have and I'll give you one of the vehicles that I have. And it was like, yes, I will make that exchange. So we talk about vehicles and stuff all the time. I, it's just like, yeah, they're just vehicles. Mm-hmm. If we get married to our vehicle instead of to our destiny, we're going to stay in the season way too long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it, it'd be like staying at the airport circling the runway. And chains in the car, like, yo, I can drive you to where you need to go. Why are yeah. you still in that plane? Well, I love the plane. It goes to like really high places, and it's like I have this perspective. Can and, your car do that? Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> no, my car can't, but my car can get you to the community you're supposed to share with. Yeah. Like, so that you know, a lot of times we can get married to our vehicle, mm. you know, and we, we end up missing or prolonging the journey. Mm. Probably, you know, maybe even get to an unhealthy point. It's like we're just supposed to move forward into our destiny and in, in in love. Like we're supposed to move into our destiny. Like it's just a vehicle, man. It's mm-hmm. not who you are. It's been coming up a bunch of this whole week. That's just crazy. So, yeah. anyways, that's cool. Yeah, um, this is probably like the tenth time I've referenced this guy. But have you heard of uh, Anthony Demello? I have. Yeah. Okay. Father yeah. Demello, dude. Yeah. Have you he, read his little Way to Love? Yeah. Yeah. That's how that's, good, right? Yeah. Love it. it. Just rocks my world, man. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, him talking about attachments. Um, mm-hmm. That just made me think of that, you know, mm-hmm. and just like really when we value a thing, um, I don't know, more than we should, you know, like having improper value yeah. towards a thing. Like that's when it gets out of whack um, for me, you know, just like instead of seeing a thing as as a vehicle or like as something God's provided, but like loving the thing, you know, which I always fall into. (laughs) Well, I just think too, it's like, I I want in the midst of all the mission and vision and destiny and purpose stuff. It's like, I met a lady when I lived in California years ago, I was a, uh, I was a janitor. I was a janitor at trailer park. That's crazy. When I went through my divorce, I like got divorced really young years and years ago. It sucked really bad. It was a brutal time, but I ended up homeless broke divorced single dad janitor of a trailer park like i was like a country song it was a whole entire country oh western song like that was that season i remember that when i was a janitor I, that was when i began to fall in love with god a little bit he began to speak to me and just communicate truth to me as i would just work and i remember i met a lady and she said in many years before that, probably in the 60s, early 70s, she had applied to a convent to be a nun and uh, they denied her. And mm-hmm. she was like, I just wanted to love God. And I thought that was the way that I would give my devotion to the Lord, you know? And she has this little trailer, like this double wide trailer in this mobile home community in Riverside, California. And she said, I thought that was the way that I was supposed to lay my life down and like give everything to him. And and she says, but she had this beautiful rose garden on the side of her house, her little trailer. And she says, now I just... I just trim my roses and that's how I love him. And I thought, oh. And so you think of Anthony DeMello and he's like, what does a flower do but just be a flower? What does a mountain do but just be a mountain? Mm-hmm. It's not striving. Yeah. And we should be that way as well. Like we, He just enjoys us. He enjoys our existence. It's enough. So I reference anytime I get too like religious or too vision focused or too crazy, I remember 
I think her name, I want to say her name was Bernine Bern, Bernine or Bernadette or something, but it was like we'd call her Miss Miss Bernice or something. And mm-hmm. then we'd go visit her and she'd give us cookies and stuff. But I always think of the lady that wanted to be a nun because she thought that's what she needed to do to love God. And she came to a point where she went, they wouldn't take me, but he still would. So now I just, I trim my roses and I think about him. And that's how I love God. So just that, like we just exist and we bring him pleasure. So we don't have to work super hard sometimes too. I just, mm-hmm. you know, the two hands of it all. I yeah, want to yeah. change the world and yet I just get to hang out with my kids and have Cheerios sometimes. And that's a great memory as well. Yeah. You know, that's changing their world or something, you know, just yeah. the global and the local and oh, it all matters. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, is that a tough balance for you to kind of like recognize that having a platform, you know, with a band is not the main thing? I think I've probably done it a disservice in some ways because I've minimized it too much. If I can be honest, yeah. um, my wife says that I really undervalue it a lot. I call it my goofy band. I, <laughs> I Sam and the stupid hardcore band. I, I, I minimize it quite probably too much, probably to its own detriment. Yeah. I'm not saying that I, it's not awesome and not rad, but I probably, I think if I had a correct value for it, I would be, I, I would probably feel a bit more, at ease with it because I feel like I've been defending my family and the boundaries I have in my life kind of against it, almost like it's a problem. It's not a problem. It's an amazing gift. It's an amazing thing to be able to do. But I think the the demand of it and the pressure to be a performer always and the expectations of everybody has been something that I've been on guard about since it actually started like really happening. And I was like, well, this is really rad. And then it's like, we're going to need to do this like a thing. And so when that happened, I remember thinking I need to protect my own kind of heart in this a little bit because I'm not completely sold that this is, this isn't the dream for me, you know, being in a band. It's like that was never, I've never been convinced that that was the thing I've wanted to do it. And I'd sing and do air guitar and stuff in my room as a little (laughs) kid. And like, I would. I'd wish I could be Chino from Deftones or something. You know what I mean? Like, I would, I don't know. I just would, I wished I could be in a band. And then as I got into the hardcore scene and realized that dudes in bands were not more special than anybody else, that was really helpful for me because I thought, oh, that's how I've always wanted it to be. Like, we're, we're all on the same team, but when we all like come together, it's like powerful. That's mm-hmm. sick. That makes sense to me. And so I'm still stuck there. I, I like Sleeping Giant shows because I can get the kids to sing. Outside of that, I don't, it, I mean, it does, it does, I come alive in some ways. That's what Chrissy says. She's like, you just come alive. Like, I, I feel like I get to see you like alive. And I think, oh, that's rad. Like there's probably that part of me that is a natural like performer yeah. or something. But I find myself being, being really critical of that part of me and knowing that it's not quite real and I don't want to be fake. So I probably haven't completely owned with owned it the way that I probably should. And, and I, and I do care about it, but I, I, I don't know. That's as you, as you say it, I'm like, I don't know if that's been, I don't know if my problem of it, like doing anything has really been the thing. I think I've had a problem with it since it started because I haven't wanted it to be the thing that became more important than relationships or more important than me or more important than what should be important right. as culture changes hardcore and metal to such an extent that it's almost unrecognizable now. 
you know, it, it, you find it, it, there's pockets of actual very legitimate hardcore people still all over the country, but predominantly it feels like it's lost a big touch of itself in some ways as it's just gained such massive popularity. And so I find myself kind of feeling out of touch with it and out of touch with myself in it a little bit. So, so dude, cool. Tommy, man, like as a person, like how did you come to like meet Jesus? Like, I guess like if you'd be interested to share a bit of your story one of the it's the deepest and most profound experience i think of my own personal failure um deception shame uh making a horrendous decision as an 18 year old kid that had no sense of who he was honestly and the effect of those decisions on a couple different people and then finding out that that story that i thought i was literally i really felt like i was the only one that could understand what that was like and then realizing that, that story has happened so many times because sin does what sin does to people. I didn't know. I just didn't know that I wasn't alone. I, I felt so alone in it. Yeah, I, I met I met Jesus. I, I think I grew up around him and his influence. My 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 mom and my dad got divorced when I was a little kid, and she was she got remarried when I, when I was maybe six or seven. And my stepfather Don, um, who has been. Uh, the, the most consistent kind of father in my life. Um, he is my dad. I have a hard time with it because I love my father, uh, Tom Green. Um, but our relationship is, is just broken. It doesn't, it's not connected at all, but I love my dad. And so I would go visit my dad in the summers and my mom married my, my bonus dad, Don, and he was a Baptist uh, minister mm-hmm. and my mom got saved. Um, and then she, when you were a kid, yeah, yeah when I was yeah. a little kid, so it, it was like 1986 or 87. So it was like the 80s, you know, Baptist, whatever, you know, it was like moral majority, one, two, three, like whatever. So <laughs> it was, uh, so they, I remember that they told me that if I didn't accept Jesus, I was going to go to hell. And I was like seven. And mm-hmm. I remember crying and praying about that. And they were super stoked for me. And I remember feeling like, I don't want to die and go to hell. Like, what the heck is that? Um, and so then as I got a little older, I think I was probably just a typical preacher's kid or something where I, I hated it. I wanted nothing to do with them. I didn't believe in their God. I didn't trust it. It felt like all religious control. It was how I dressed and how I looked and what will people think and all of those things. And I didn't respond to that at all. My father uh, was a Catholic and he wasn't really, but he grew up Catholic. I don't even think he's, I think he's an agnostic. Honestly, I don't think he mm-hmm. believes in God. I hope he does in in real ways, but like he doesn't really have like a relationship with God. He just grew up Catholic, but I think he's got a really deep frustration and anger with God. And so I, I always wanted to kind of be something to maybe connect there, but I wasn't sure. So really, uh, I did, I, I just did normal teenage stuff. I think when I was 13, 14, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth grade and stuff, ran away a bunch, started selling drugs, like just you know, was kind of off the deep end and, and would leave constantly because I just didn't want to be around him. And I hated the, what was going on and I was messed up. And, uh, so I remember coming around, I finished high school and literally was like a Satanist. I, I just, I denied it. I was probably a secular humanist really, but I loved like the fact that Anton LaVey and stuff, they use like Satanism to just piss people off. And I thought, yeah, why not? Like, you know, there's no heaven above, there's no hell below, you know, live the best you can today. And I thought that makes sense for me. I, I knew the supernatural existed. 
I had experienced spiritual things. So I was kind of like, I don't really know what to put, where to put those things, but you know, I'm like an animal. I'll live the best I can today. And if someone messes with me, I'm, if they hit me, I'm hitting them back. Like if they, you know, just, it was very, it was just selfish and whatever. And so the fruit of that was whatever, but I knew, I knew spiritual things happened, but I didn't know what to do with that. And so towards the end of high school, I met a couple of Christian hardcore kids and some other hardcore kids from California. And I just remember thinking, Oh, like, so you guys like Jesus, that's cool. But like, you're into everything I'm into. So like, I don't know. I knew they were real. I knew that they cared even if I wasn't sure. So then, uh, what ended up happening was I, I met a couple my senior year of high school and I ended up, uh, really falling in love with the both of them. And they, they were in a unique situation in that a couple years prior, they were a few years older than me. So they were in their early twenties. I was 18. I'd graduated first term of my senior year and then was just working, waiting for graduation in June. And, uh, I had a lot of time on my hands, so I'd go to hang out with them. And they were in a unique position in that they'd been in a really bad car accident and they'd rolled the car and he had broken his neck and become a quadriplegic and she was taking care of him full time. And he was like a shot caller in many ways in the scene. He was a, he was a terrifying individual, yeah. a massively loyal friend, a, a real dude. And then this happens and it's like his whole world is upside down. And many of the people that just respected him out of fear abandoned him because they had, he had nothing to offer them all of a sudden or something. So, you know, just th these poor people and I, I just loved them, both of them, you know, and I, I, and I wanted to make his life happier and I wanted to make her life happier because they were just struggling, but they were great financially. They'd want a settlement, they had money and they owned a house and he was going to live comfortably, but he was in pain and, you know, he had, he had stuff he was dealing with and I just wanted their life to get better. And so I'd, sh I'd show up after I'd work and then I'd go over to their house and wash the dishes or just try to be smiling. Cause you know, I just, I really, that was a big deal. And so, uh, over the course of a couple weeks, uh, a couple months leading up to my high school graduation, I would just hang out there all the time with some friends of mine that were from California that were staying there and working in Salt Lake for just a short season. And then they were going to go back to California. And so they were my connection point to these, these people. And, uh, I remember that I was going to graduate high school and my friend, Eric, from Sleeping Giant said, I feel like God brought me out here to bring you home. And I remember saying, All right. I'd run away. I'd basically moved out of my house my, at the end of my junior year. I was living with my girlfriend at the time, you know, finished high school and then was just living with her and working. And um, she was a great person. She didn't laugh at my jokes. And I feel like that's a really good indicator of if you're, you shouldn't be with someone if they don't laugh at your jokes. Like if they don't think you're funny and if they aren't going to celebrate your humor um, or they're going to give you pity laughs, like you should break up with them immediately because it's just not, it's not the kind of life that you're meant to live on some level. So, um, I, I broke up with her. <laughs> it's just like, okay, went home, broke up with her and then packed my stuff. And I was like, I guess I'm going to go to Redlands with these guys. And so they organized a trip where, uh, the girl was going to take us all, drive us all out there and leave the guy there for a few days. And there was gonna be nursing care and they were going to get a break because they were fighting a lot. And it was this big thing on that trip to California, I basically graduated from high school, walked the aisle, Went, hung out with my friends, played some music, went to that couple's house, fell asleep on the couch, woke up the next morning. I'm moving to California, like literally the day after graduation and uh, get out to California. I guess I'm going to move to Redlands and hang out with these guys and like whatever. On that trip over the course of a week, I have an affair with her. So then everything in my life is like fractured from that point on. Like where I, I mean, I just remember it felt like the whole world all of a sudden is like, <laughs> like what just happened? Like I just did that. I did the worst 
thing ever. Like I so took advantage of this man in this weak position and I never would have done that to him if he was walking. He would have killed me. Like I've never, it's like, it was such a violation. It was so selfish and messed up. And I, I could not believe that I had done that. Regardless of what led to it, like, was that even like a desire or was it just like you? It was, I think so. I think yeah. I wanted her. I, it was but like, maybe you didn't realize it or no, I don't know, yeah. man. I, it was like, she, she valued me for in some way. And I think out of the broken place in her, she saw something good in me and she didn't know what else to do. Just like most people, when you don't have the Lord, when the Holy spirit isn't filling your, your spirit, you, you know, your soul manifests this desire and, and tries to take it from someone else to complete you. And I think she recognized in me something that was missing in her and she wanted it. And so she pursued me and I felt so flattered that someone older than me, she was beautiful. I, you know, I was so blown away that someone would like me. And so I was, I was taken by her. I really was. I was, I thought she was just the bomb on every level. And so I can't say that there wasn't an honest, like real connection there. I don't think it was the right kind of connection. I don't think it manifested in the correct, in the, in the best way for either of us, but man, it, it went there. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, now I'm in secrecy. Now this thing has happened. Now I'm in this hidden place. So I, I drive back with her to Utah and we get there and uh, they're immediately fighting again. And, he, and I remember he called me into his room and I remember thinking, oh my God, he knows. I don't know how he knows, but he knows. And how do I tell? And he just said, are you, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to go to the dentist. I'm going to go see my mom. And then I'm going to take the Greyhound back. And he said, why don't you stick around for a while? It will make things easier. Cause they're just like arguing and he can tell that I can help them and I'm for both of them. And so anyway, so for like multiple days, like probably like a week, I'm up with this guy till two, three, four in the morning, just talking to him at his bedside about everything that's been out of pain through his life. He's just got this in incredibly painful story and tragedy and all sorts of stuff he's walked through. And, and I'm trying to help him win back this girl that is cheating on him with me and like deeply loves and cares for him and is saying she loves me and, and is so broken. And I, I'm like uh, caught in the middle of this thing. And I, I don't know how to do this. I am like, Oh my God, I want everyone to be okay. I don't know how to. And so anyways, one day, uh, a week or so after that, he called me and he said, I'm going to go to the hospital and get on antidepressants. Um, today is a day where I could even be, I think he said, I could even be a prick to you and I don't want to do that. So take her and get out of here and like, go hang out with your friends or something. I'm going to have the hospital come pick me up and I'm going to get on antidepressants. I'll be there for about, you know, a week and then I'm going to come home. And I said, oh, okay. You know, and he's like, just take her out with your friends, go do something. And I'm like, okay. So we go out, we hang out. I, you know, we went probably swimming, played on rooftops, ran around, just ran around the city. And I just took around with my high school friends that, you know, thought I was moving and they're like, yeah, you're here. This is rad. Like you're hanging out for a little bit. And so we go and do the night thing and run around and we went to stay at my friend's house. And I remember waking up the next morning and she's on the phone and she's yelling into the phone, like what, you know, someone needs to tell me something. And then she hangs up and the phone rings and she hands it to me and it's her mom. And she says, you, you need to come back here. Um, he's dead. And he had, he had actually kind of put together this plan um, and he committed suicide that night. And so all of a sudden it's like, I can't take back. I, it was just this, oh my God. Like 
And I knew it. The minute that she went to hand me the phone, I'm like, he's dead. I don't know how, because I called him the night before. He, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm eating pixie sticks because he, he, he didn't have a lot of movement in some of his hands, but he, he had this whole umbrella holder full of pixie sticks. And uh, he would just drink Coke. He's like, I'm having Coke, pixie sticks. I'm hanging out with my friends. That's what I want to do. I said, okay. He said, call me in the morning. Make sure that they came and got me or make sure that I'm gone or make sure that they came and picked me up or something. And I said, okay. And that was the last time I talked to him. And so uh, we go to, we go in the morning. She's like, you need to get us, need to get back here. He's, you know, he's dead. And, um, and, I'm, and I'm like, oh my God. So we, we drive back and I remember that, that ride is like a blur and his suicide note. These are the things I remember. This is not a total picture and it, it, it doesn't accurately represent him or um, or her or the depth of anyone. This is just what I remember. And and in the suicide note, the very first line, it said, Tom, Tom Green, as soon as possible, please help. Um, please help her through this. His viewing was later that afternoon. They had him cremated like two days later. Like his mom just like took over and like just, I mean, it was like so fast. So I remember the viewing was later that day. I went and knelt in front of his body and just told him how sorry I was. And I just said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I never told you. And, and uh, yeah, and I just said, I will do my very best to love her well. Like I just, I've tried to make this commitment. Like I will make it right or something. It was, I, I really did want to love her. I, I wanted to, I, I'm, Oh God, I didn't know what to do. You know, like it just lost this, like literally just graduated high school. Like think of the 18 year old kids here, yeah. you know, that just graduated. It's like, that's me getting ready to have an affair with another dude's wife. Like, you know, I, it, who was I, who knows, you know? So anyways, um, I remember thinking that I didn't really have a context for what mercy or forgiveness could be. I wanted it, but I didn't really know. And there was a part of me that thought like a life for life. I don't, I have no idea how to make this right outside of like he dies. So I die. And I remember sitting next to his bed and just crying the day of his funeral, sitting by myself next to the bed where I was sitting with him to just listen to this dude, pour his heart out and care. I cared so genuinely for him. And yet I was so, it was so double-minded I was deeply invested in, I, oh God, I wanted such good things for him. I didn't want him to be in pain. I, I remember I was all in for him and yet I was all in for her. And I was, it was so weird to feel that like the, so strange. So, um, anyways, I remember sitting by the edge of his bed the day of his funeral and just thinking like, I'm going to kill myself. That's the only way to make this right. And he had, they had this, he had a Smith and Wesson he had like a 40. And I remember thinking, I'm, okay, I'm going to shoot myself and we'll just be done there's no way for me to take it back. And he was such a real dude. He had real friends. And I, and, uh, I remember there was real friends that were across the street from the house the day of his funeral. And I remember thinking if any of them found out I'm dead anyway. And, uh, literally within a couple of weeks, I got confronted at a dollar movie, uh, just a movie theater in Salt Lake. And there's a bunch of dudes that were in town that were friends with them. And, and they confronted me and they, they wanted me to go behind the building so they could stab me. And I don't know how it, I didn't, die but I remember standing there and like lying to them no like they're like why are you trying to you know why are you trying to F my dead friend's girlfriend and all and they're calling me out I am caught and I'm like you know, trying to like and I'm by myself and these are like grown men and I'm just like I don't know what to do like and I begin shaking and I think shame and trauma and it just it came on my life and I was like lost at that point. So what ends up happening is we're like together kind of in secret. And then at a certain point in time, 
um, we get pregnant. And it's like, oh my God, like we're going to have a baby. Like, this is so awesome. Like, you know, we're living this life. We can't tell people her family knows that we're together, but like we, we can't come out and tell people cause it's like, it's too soon. It's like, it's, he only died like six months ago. Like this isn't, I, I, it, there's no way to make it right, but it's like we're hidden and oh my God, now she's pregnant. Like, what are we going to say? And like, there's nothing wrong with this baby. Like but like, oh my God. And so that was in many ways how we came out and told people that we were together. It's like, all of a sudden it's like, these guys are going to have a baby now. And in many ways it was so, it, for me at least, it was just such a, it was interesting. It was such an interesting dynamic to fall in love with this kid and to be so in love with this woman in, a, in such a deep way. And, and to at the same time have such a, a shame and a guilt for what had happened and not really having a way to resolve it and uh, not knowing how to make it right. But I remember when I went to, I was having that conversation with myself about suicide the day of his thing. I, I remember it was like an impression or, a, or, a, and it was like, I am going to, I should do this. And I remember feeling interrupted. And the way that I phrased it is it was as if what was, in, what was impressed on me was like, you don't, you, you, you don't know me. Like you, what you think you know about me is not correct. And I, and I will change your mind. And I remember thinking almost like, well, you, in my, in the honesty of my heart, I was like, you better fucking hurry, man. I don't have any time. And I, and I didn't become a Christian then. Right. But I got these friends in California that are waiting for me to move out there and they're all Christian kids. And now I'm like committed in Utah. And I remember that in this process, I remember going out to visit just before we got pregnant and a friend of mine came up to me. Her name is Juliana. She said, I don't know what you think about all this heaven and hell stuff. Cause I went to church with them and it was just like hanging out, you know, mm-hmm. November of 1999. So and I'm sitting in the back and she goes, I don't know what you think about all this heaven and hell stuff. I don't know what you think about God. She said, but if, I don't want to go to heaven if you're not going to be there. Wow. And I remember just going oh, still. And I'm like, do you want to pray with me or something? Like, cause I knew how it worked, you know, but I was just like, I don't know how to pray. Like I don't. So she prayed with me. Right. And then I went back home and I remember telling my, my, X, you know, we can't sleep together anymore. Like I just gave my heart to like, God, I think something happened. Like, can we not like, I love you, but like, can we, can we start new? And it hit her in such a place of rejection that she like kind of talked me back in. Cause she didn't know she thought I was leaving or something, but I was like, no, can we like, let's do it right. Like, so I started going to church and stuff, you know, like I was like trying anyways. And then we ended up getting pregnant. We got married in Salt Lake city, um, St. Patrick's day, 2002. We moved to Southern California, Easter, 2002. So just a couple months after we got married, we've been together at that point for like three years. My little baby girl was like maybe eight, nine months old. We moved to California because again, we had this money. They had this money from the settlement. They had their own house. They owned it. They had hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash in their account. They were, and you know, he was set. So we didn't have to worry about money in some ways. So like, that's a weird deal too. It's like, I, anyway, so we moved to California um, cause a friend of ours, I remember just feeling like we should move out of here. Like we should have a fresh start. Like, let's go, let's go to Redlands. Like we got friends out there as a community out there. So just to be completely honest, it was like, we moved out there and we were both a mess and the house that we were trying to sell in Utah didn't sell. And we'd bought a house in Redlands that, you know, and so we, there was financial pressure all of a sudden because it was like the market had tanked after nine 11. And so we lost like hundreds of thousands of dollars. I remember our accountant actually, I think got busted years later but had stolen a bunch of money from her and everything. And so it was a weird time, but she ended up and if just to be completely honest and like, I am so there's a part of me that I can say this, like I am so glad that I'm not with her anymore 
I'm so glad that our relationship is over. And I, and I'm so grateful to have, to be where I am. I, I am grateful to be where I am today. Um, but she just fell in love with a friend of mine and, it, and I, it, 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 the same, his dad had committed suicide and he was left alone. And she so responded to him that there was this like thing that took place and all of our friends were calling him out. Hey man, that's Tommy's wife. Don't do that. Like, and I called him, Hey man, don't, don't do this. And, uh, and, and I was, I had, she'd asked me to kind of like give her a break or give her space. She was so depressed and stressed out, you know? And I remember the feeling of this brokenness happening in this relationship of mine. I'm thinking, but you're everything to me. Like I've given up everything for you. Like, yeah, I'll give you some space. I'll move in with my friend Eric and, and let's figure this out. And, uh, I moved out and, and, uh, moved in with Eric. And actually what's crazy is his ex and my ex, they like both kind of bailed on us at the same time. So me and Eric were just like in this house in Redlands, like, Oh my God, like what is happening to our life right now? And, uh, she, she ended up in that season pursuing this relationship with him. So she tells me one day that she has feelings for this guy and I go to his house and I sit with him the next day and I'm like, listen, don't do this. Like, I know what it feels like to be you with the same girl at the same age. It's a different situation. Like, we have a little kid. Please don't do this. You know, just pleading with this kid. Because what happened to me is I got threatened to be stabbed to death. And I thought that didn't help me come into the light. That didn't help me be truthful or honest. Like, I don't want to put anything on this poor kid that was put on me. Just please, can I tell you honestly, please don't do this. Like, don't mess up my family. Like, I know it's a mess right now, but like, it's my mess. So like, don't, you know, and so, but it, I, you know, it wasn't going to happen. So I, I remember in the midst of my marriage breaking up, that was when I really met Jesus. That's when I really began to feel a love outside of me. Cause what I said was, you said, love your enemies. Why well, I hate this dude. I hate him right now. Like I, this poor, broken, selfish prick is totally going to damage my daughter. Like her family's going to be broken because these people are being selfish. I have a problem with both of them, but all I want is for her to pick me again so we can start over. Like if the minute she would turn, it's like, oh, everything's forgiven. Yes. Like we got it. We got it. We're going to be okay. Like, and I just, and I remember thinking I'll love my enemy. I'll love my enemy. And all I want is for that love to win my wife's heart. I just want her heart to turn back to me. I don't know how to make it right. I know I'm a mess and young and I don't, you know, I don't know how to do this thing, but if I, if I can stay, if I can stay in this man, I think I can win her back. And so in the process of loving my enemies in front of all these Christian kids, they were like, I don't know how you are doing this. And I'm like, it's your dude. He's the guy that's like, I don't know him. Like, you know, this is your thing. Like I'm supposed to love the people that are hurting me. Right. Like, I don't know how else to do this, but it was like, it wasn't real before. So I'll do what you're asking me to do. And if it works, then I know you're real. Right. Like, and so that was where it started. And so in the process of trying to win back someone's heart, I can't make her love me. Well, isn't that the tension? I can't make them love me. I can only win. I can win their heart, but I can't force them to love me. I can't manipulate them to worship me. I can't, I can't make them pick me. And was, I, was there a part of you that was just like, if this doesn't work, then screw it all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean it really, it was just time, like, yeah. I, it's like I got this little kid and ultimately you guys, I'm trying not to be my dad. Yeah. 
at that point in my life. My dad and my mom got divorced when my dad's in his mid twenties in St. Louis. I'm as this, I'm two, three years old and my mom moves away from my father with the kid to a different state. I'm trying not to do to my kid what happened to me. I, I just don't want to be divorced. I don't want Marin to have divorce and, and brokenness in her life. But I'm putting a lot of that on my ex and going, but I want her. But really, I was trying to protect this kid. I was trying to protect my own heart. I was trying to, I was trying to make it better. I, I just was trying all these things. And so there was a lot of different motivation in there. But a big part of it was the sins of the father, the things that I experienced. I'd never wanted that for my kid. I never wanted that for my ex. I didn't, I didn't want that to be my story, you know? And so, uh, in the process of trying to win back this person that I had chosen to get her to choose me again, I began to fall in love with Jesus. I began to feel like this thing of like, you love like this, like these people, like I'm hurting you and you'll keep loving me. Like I am totally a mess and you're still so like consistent. Like I'm sleeping in the back room of my house, my house to be around my daughter. So my wife can go date my friend. Like the, the embarrassment and the shame and the, the frustration and the like, don't you see how into you I am? Like you're totally doing the wrong thing. And I, I love you. Like, come on. Like in my head, I'm like, this dude's a tool. Like I'm great. This kid sucks. Like you don't have life with him. You have life with me. What are you doing? And, and so that process was the place where I think the revelation of how much God loves people and how much Jesus loves like me, it hit. And I went, I, I can love you. If you'll love me, if you love me like this, I'm in. Cause I have nothing. I am like on empty. And I felt his picking of me. Like he was, he had select, he was like selecting me in that. Like, I see you, you have nothing to offer. And I, I love you. I'm so down for you. And I just remember feeling like you can, you can have it. Like, I don't, you know, so that was really like meeting the Lord. It, it was, it was this long process of this crazy journey, you know, and, and in many ways, yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of the totality of it is like <sighs> committing this horrendous sin against heaven, against these people, this poor, precious man. And, and it, to me feeling like that was the last straw and this dude ended his life and I was one of the most selfish people in, in one of the weakest moments of his life. I, I felt like I was directly responsible for what happened. And ultimately I wasn't. And ultimately he had his own journey. And really ultimately my, my partner was just as culpable as I was, but I, the burden of it fell on me. I, and that was me thinking way too highly of even my own self. It's like he, he did his own thing, but God, I, I just felt like, and I should. And in many ways, like, I don't mind saying it. it's like, that was just the worst thing. And so when I stand on stage with SG, that's what it's like. I don't care who you are, where you come from. I am worse than you. I, I'm the worst human being in this room. I don't care what you've done. And so the process of that, and then leading to a place where I'm trying to do life and make it right and live in this thing and bring redemption and hope in my own family. And then watching the same betrayal visit me in some ways and going, Oh my God, like, I don't know how to love. I, I don't know what love is. I have no idea who I am. I, I don't know anything. And now look at this. Now my, my little girl's life is broken and my, my little family that I was trying to build for her is just shot to hell. And what do I do? And so, and he, and he was, he was just there, you know, like, so that, that was kind of how I, I ended up 
beginning my relationship with Jesus. And in many ways, the, the, the realness of that and hearing his voice and feeling his presence and connecting with him was like, okay, like this is real. Like you were, you are so real to me. Nothing else is as real as you are in this. I cannot believe that I, I was missing you. I cannot believe I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know you were this real. I had no clue. I was so numbed out or so running or whatever it was. I, I, I couldn't feel how intense you are for, for, for me and for people. And so just going like, oh, my God, he's real. And then that was kind of what launched where I just said I've used my voice for every other thing, like every other thing in my life. I knew that you I knew I wanted to communicate and I wanted to make people happy. And I wanted to my, my initial goal when I was six, I took an assessment. My parents, my, my mom, I said they were going through their premarital counseling and it was like goals and stuff. It was like very psychological. And they gave me an assessment and I remember filling it out when I was like five. And it was like, what are some major obstacles in your life? And I just learned to ride my bike and I was watching rad all the time. And, and so it was like, what are major obstacles in your life? And I put sidewalk curbs and speed bumps. <laughs> Like that was, and then it was like, you know, what's your, yeah. Like what's your goal? Like what's your, what's your plan for life? And I, I said to make 10,000 people laugh. Cause that was like a huge number to me to make like 10,000 people laugh and die with a smile on my face. Like that was, those were my goals at like five years old. It was like, I want to make people happy and I want to be happy at the end. So in general, I knew that there was something where I'd watch what had happened in different moments when I would communicate and it would connect. And I'm like, I can use my voice but I'd used it for all the wrong things. And so I remember in that season going, God, I've used my voice for every other thing. <laughs> if I can be of any help, like you can have it. And so that was kind of what launched the like, can I tell people? Yeah. Really? Yeah. There's, I mean, like, obviously completely different, but like uh, I went through a divorce myself um, almost three years ago now. And it was just like heart wrenching time, obviously like learning to function again. Yeah. Like I, I started to kind of like feel myself again at a point in time. I was like, I can actually function again. Um, but wanting to be like very honest with myself about the things that I should have done differently. Yeah. Um, and reconciling that, that was something I talked to my counselor with a whole lot where I was just like, I don't know how to properly look at the things that I should have done differently Absolutely. Because without beating myself up about it. Like yeah. I'm used to the reaction of humanity either being you beat yourself up or you kind of deny it, you know, like to really just like face things and be like, I effed up and I want to change, you know, um, like that, uh, one of our pastors at our church, like he, he words it like, man, like repentance is you, you do something ignorant and stupid that you know better and something horrible happens and you're just like, holy crap, like, I need, I need you, God, like, like, I'm a freaking mess, you know, like, um, it's not, all right, I accept your grace, and, like, I avoid that thing, it's like, you face it head on, you know, um, yeah. but, uh, just, like, fight through it, but, yeah, but, yeah, for me, for me, like, there is a point of learning to function again, but still just beating myself up to some point, or just, like, constantly feeling like, man, what could I have done differently, um, and not really knowing what that looked like. Um, yeah. But then there was one mo morning in particular that it was just like very, very, very heavily impressed on my heart that like, hey, dude, you woke up today and that's not an accident, you know? Um, and that's something that I come back to all the time. It's like have friends that just like, they feel like they've crossed a point of no return where they're just like, I, I've experienced God's grace 
and I've still chosen this thing that has effed up someone's life, you know? Sure. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just like, like the God who created you let you exist today, you know, like, and that's significant, you know, um, he's, he's not done with you, you know, like, I, like I think about crazy the, man. the, that story. I mean, it's interesting. And, and to go around and like share it and have so many people come to me and be like, I did the same thing. And yeah. I'm like, Oh my God, like you did. And it's like, yeah. And like, not as intense because the you know their dude the dude didn't die yeah, or yeah. whatever but it's like but yes and just going oh my god like I felt like the only one I literally I just was like oh. you read David's story and with Bathsheba and his level of betrayal and hurting a friend and hiding it and deception and I just so resonated I was like this is oh my gosh like this happens like this has happened to people before they have no integrity in themselves and they they break promises and they don't i did that but i'm not the only one like and just come to a place where i was able to share it and and i would just cry to think of like oh man these poor people but on some level i didn't i don't have the i don't have the caught feeling that i had at that movie theater and that was like a thing when they're like, I know you're going to tell her like all of a sudden I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a snitch. I'm not going to say nothing that you guys have done this. Like you called me out like this and tried to like provoke me. And like, you want me to go around the corner with you guys and stab me in the parking lot. And it's like, I'm not going to say anything, but I remember feeling so terrified. I just, I shit, I shook for like a full night. Like I'm so afraid. And I remember that it did, it marked something in my life. And I remember, oh God. So just thinking of that point. Anyways, I had a, there was a woman that came to me in 2006 in, in Redlands actually at the Church on the Hill. And she walked up to me, she said, I had a dream and you were in it last night. And I said, okay. And she said, I saw you and over your head, all of a sudden these numbers started flipping backwards and over your head was 1999. She said, that was a big year for you, wasn't it? And I was like, yeah. She said, you walked into this water and you dipped your arms. You had tattoos on both of your arms and you dipped your arms in this water and your tattoos just came right off. And I just remember thinking, like, whatever was going on in that, whatever had marked me, whatever I had, whatever had happened, he was, he, there was a place where I could come to him and he would, he would remove, you know, I don't know. It's just, wow. That's sick, right? It's pretty so insane. I, I just remember thinking, I can tell the story and I, I, I'm not bragging and I'm not trying to beat people over the head with it. I literally am just trying to let people into that thing of like, I, I get it. And, I, and I'm not afraid to tell you because yeah. he still picked me. Like, he's still my defender in it. And moving mm -hmm. back to Salt Lake City from Southern California to be with my daughter and, and waiting for people to come up to me and be like, you, you know, it's out now. Like, every, and just waiting to be punished with it. Waiting to be punished. And, and literally a few years ago, him being like, you need to stop waiting for, I will not treat you like that. It's as if, as as brave as I can be to be open about it, that's probably how afraid people are to bring up their own stuff. And so it's like, I think that scares the hell out of people mm -hmm. to be like, here I am. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't think about it because I'm just trying to like stay clear. I just I just want people to know like, yo, this is real. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm not, it, and I'm not realizing it's provoking people like, oh my God, like, I'm not going to talk to that dude. Like, and they freak out. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm afraid of like, you could destroy me with this information. Please don't. Mm -hmm. And they're not even, they, I don't think a lot of me were thinking about that. I think most people are just like, 
terrified of like, oh my God, if they really see me, they're not going to love me anymore. If they really saw me, they wouldn't love me. Mm-hmm. And I think that gets reinforced a lot with other behavior. So to go to like the very worst thing I could and be like, and he still loves me. So he yeah. can still love you. Like there it is, uh, but, but it, people don't treat themselves like that. Yeah. And so it's, it has been a process of going from, I don't think I have, I think I'm so saddened that I made those stupid decisions, but I'm not walking around with shame. Like I hate who I am. Right, if guilt is I hate what I've done and shame is I hate who I am, yeah. I can have guilt for like, oh, I hate that I did that. I so hate that I did that. And I absolutely love and adore my daughter. Like, I, 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 my destiny is so connected to this little kid's destiny. I, I probably have a level of favor and understanding and grace on my life because I was a father way early. Like, I had something. She gave me something that I wouldn't have had at a 22-year-old kid trying to pasture. I'd have just been some little, I don't, there was, you know, she is a gift from God and what crazy circumstances for her origin story. Yeah. And that's where I go. Like, it's not even about me. It's like, don't use this to hurt my little girl. That that is where, that's how her mom and dad got together. That's her story. And I go, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have shame about her story. That's her story. And she's rad and she's got this amazing destiny and all this stuff. But it's just interesting processing it where it's like, wow, like I don't, I hate that I've done some of those things, but would I change them? Hmm. Not at the expense of Marin. Not at the expense of my kid. That's a that's a thing that I've had uh, a few friends just like even talk to me just being open about going through my divorce. You know, yeah. Um, <clears throat> just asking like, how can you be that open in front of people? Just performing poetry, like a lot of my poems go along with that time period, um, and. Uh, just like it's not my story like it's it's a story of like god pulling me up out of a pit you know yeah. like and that's that's not josh mozug's deep dark pit story you know it's not not a story of my brokenness it's not a story of me being down on myself for things that i should have done differently it's me like recognizing how great god is um yeah. and that he has tomorrow and today for me you know mm-hmm. and not that when my wife was done with me, when I was done with me, that my life ended. You know, it's that, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's like the story of God's goodness, you know? I think that's real. It's kind of crazy. In a, in a very long, like that's kind of the full thing. That is, that's where my relationship with him began. And because it, because that level of like pursuit and love, trying to love, trying to have long, long suffering, trying to be long suffering, trying to do what I thought love would do mm-hmm. in front of a, a community of people I think ultimately that created a level of favor or uh, I don't know that probably agreed with favor God wanted to put on someone that would tell their story right? so yeah. you know I come back from this season in, in Atlanta towards the end of our marriage I moved with Marin for a couple months to give her time to like figure out what she was going to do I went with my parents in Atlanta and stayed with, with me and Marin for like two and a half, three months over the holidays. And I was like, when I come back, you know, you can, you know, we'll <laughs> be done and everything, but like figure your stuff out. And so over that couple months of just me, my like two-year-old in this house in Atlanta when my parents worked, you know, at just this lonely, lonely time with the Lord, 
that was when the Lord really, I felt like I could share if you wanted me to. I could tell people about you. I think I could do church for people that don't like church. Like, I think I think I would do that. And so when I got back to Redlands, it was like hit the ground running. And there was a bunch of people that weren't a part of a church that loved Jesus and a lot of kids that didn't know anything about him. And so the Bible study started and then blew up and then um, filled up our apartment and then filled up the clubhouse of the apartment complex. And then we went to uh, Shane's, Shane Cox's church's building, his youth room, and uh, which was kind of like the size of the room we're in. And it just like went. And so that was that was kind of how and why it all started. Because I think oh. publicly I was trying to love in a way and it was like I was embarrassed and I was ashamed and you know my all my business is on front street you know and you have the I remember having a conversation I was working at, at at this coffee shop and a dude walked up to me and he said he asked about you know whatever and I was in a band with the dude I played drums in a band with the dude when he was hooking up with my my ex and I remember that <clears throat> his name came up a conversation with this guy and uh I remember it was like he looked at me and he didn't realize that I was who I was. And he was like, oh, is that with his like girlfriend and her baby? And that was like my wife and my kid. And I'm like, wow. Oh, man. And just having those conversations and just feeling so embarrassed. Like, you know, this ignorant dude has no idea that, you know, they're like, I'm like smash his face open with a plate. Like, no, that is not like just so pissed and, and so embarrassed and going through that, going through that in public. And I feel like on some level, because of the intention to try to love God was like, I will literally bless you. I'll reward you. I really will. I will be your reward and I will, I'll bless what you put your hand to in front of that same community. And I'll give you like a different kind of prize. Um, in some way and so anyway so that was that was kind of how it all started and then in yeah it's so crazy to see like the lord's redemptive hand and like all of that like i mean by the cross like we are washed clean past all that forgiven and like we have the free the free path and the grace to walk forward like an encouragement but like you know our our testimonies are like like josh said like it's god's glory basically at the end of it all like this is me coming to the end of myself yeah. And God saying, I'm not done with you, even though you're done with you. Yeah. And like uh, one thing about your story and even like mine, like kind of like is the fact that God's not afraid of people. Yeah. And I've been telling a lot of my friends, I like the Lord's not afraid of you, even if you're afraid of you. God's not yeah. afraid of you. Dude, that's that's a good word. I think even coming through to start doing business, like I was good at church world and I, I that was comfortable for me. And then a couple years ago to feel like I'm going to need to figure out something to do so that I don't feel like I'm just doing church stuff or ministry stuff for money or I don't want it to be my job. Like in Hitch, you know, where he's like, love is my life. And the dude's like, love is your job. It's like, I don't, I don't want to be Hitch, you know, for Jesus. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want him to be my job. And I was getting to a spot where I was starting to feel so much fear and hesitation and anxiety about having my family's needs met and finances and being a good provider and living by faith and all of those things coming together. And I remember starting to do real estate and starting my business and going forward and, and having there be favor on it and, and doing well and being like, um, I'm not trustworthy. Remember, like I'm the dude that I'm the dude that does the dumb things when you give him freedom. So like, <laughs> I literally felt like just keep me in the little playpen called the church, but like, don't 
you know, I'm give, I'll give you everything I have. And having literally like, uh, the, um, the Holy spirit in that moment, I'm like, I will give you everything I've got. Like, let me give you, I'll give you my whole life. I'll give you everything I have. And having the Holy spirit be like, I'll give you everything I have. And just being like, Oh no, 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 no. Like, no, no. I'm, I'm good at like church world. Like keep me in the playpen called the church. Like, don't let me out of there. Like I'm safe there. Like, don't, I'm not good at this. And so the idea that he's not scared of me, what I can do. And I had a friend that came to me. She's a girl from, uh, actually he's, he, he's from California. He's married to this wonderful person from Wales. And they were just staying at my house. And he said, I kept seeing this picture for you last night. And it's like, God keeps saying like, I trust you. And he gives you this like crystal kind of like ball, like of glass. And he puts it in your hands and you like get afraid of it and drop it and it shatters. And he just picks it back up and he's like, I'm, I trust you. And he, he keeps putting it in your hands and you're like, I don't, I am not good with this, you know? And it's like your life. Like you're just like, I, and he keeps like, he's going to keep giving it to you until you begin to trust you. And I think that that's been a process for me that not feeling bad because I can see how good he is, but not, not feeling good about me. That's been, I think the journey over the last handful of years is like to, to go from being a sinner to a son, to go from being forgiven to, to actually standing in a place of freedom. He's like, I'm not as far as if it's true, I've forgiven those things and I put them in the ocean called, I forget. And I never look at them again on purpose. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't treat you like you're that kid that's 18 that just did all that stuff. That's still sort of like, you know, I treat you like you're the dude that's 35. That's got some kids. And like, I want to bless you in this moment. And I'm with you now. And like, let's do this. And I'm like, yeah, but like, remember when, (laughs) and he's like, no, I don't remember when, like quit it. Like, but I, I, you know, again, it's, I think James, right. He calls it the perfect law that gives freedom. He says, when you, you, when you forget, it's like you look in the mirror and turn around and forget what you look like. And I think he is, he's the best that, Hey, this is who you are. Like, this is who you are right now. Like, you know, the Bible teacher said that eternity, eternity is the forever now of God, the eternal now of God. Like those great moments when you're just connected to someone and it's like time stands still that's eternity. Like that, connection and it never ends like oh my god and so he's present with me now and i'm stuck thinking about failure from the past and he's like stop that like you know you're forgiven for it but you don't let yourself be free of it that's weird that you do that like (laughs) i don't you know why he's walking me through it and i'm like oh my gosh like this is why there's limitations in my present this is why there's not some of the breakthrough that i'm looking for this is why I'm not actually experiencing some of the greatness in my dreams. I, I still don't like or trust some part of me. I'm afraid that if I do, I'm dishonoring you somehow. And he's like, I, I would treat you like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I think that word of like, he's not afraid of people. It's dynamic because it's something that leads us through our discipleship. You know, if I, I, I'll give you a million dollars right now. I'm not afraid of you. Are you afraid of you? Oh, I, I think I'm afraid of me a little bit. He's like, cool. I'm not going to give you a million dollars. Like, I'm not going to give you an AK. You're not going to, you'll kill yourself or someone else with it. Like yeah. the minute you trust yourself, you're good to go. Like, oh shoot. You really would give us the, the authority of your heart, your love, influence, credibility, relationships, people. 
most precious, right? Like I'll give you people if you'll take care of them. Oh, I don't know. I'm not going to give them to you then. Don't. But the minute you feel like you're ready, man, I'm in. Oh, okay. Really? Like, so <laughs> that's when my process is, is learning. I think slowly that even though he appreciates everything I've done and how I've utilized my story, mm-hmm. that, that he's like, you're also not completely your story. So like, let that go. Like those things have, have really been changed and transformed and, I'm trying to grow into the worthiness that he knows about me, that he's like, you are worthy. You're worthy of more than you're giving yourself credit for. Not based on your own value even sometimes, but like how much do I value you? You're not even thinking about that. Mm -hmm. I value you so much. You're so worthy to me and being like, I'm, I am not aligned with that word. (laughs) I am like somewhere off in left field. Like I want to be worthy too. (laughs) I feel like I am kind of, but like, I'll just stay over here. And he's like, Come on, man. Like you have yet to tap into the bank of grace. Yo, I'm just like in the tide pool somewhere and there's, <laughs> you know, like for real. So I, I think, I think that's really good. Yeah. Going through that process too, you know, like, uh, there was you doing youth ministry back in the day. There was a time that I was like, all right, I'm a little bit older than these guys and I have a lot to like offer them. You know, I've been where they've been, you know, all this jazz. Um, and then hitting a point where I was like scared to death because I was just like, the things that I'm telling these kids, they're believing. Like yeah. they're actually like living their life in Christ in this way. And I don't know what the heck I'm saying, you know, like yeah. what the heck I'm doing. So it's kind of like that realization, like that, like who the heck am I to bear your name and like to actually wow. lead people? Like um, there, there is like this period of, I don't want to even touch it because I'm going to make such a mess of it. But I kind of like needed to be in that space to really place it in God's hands and be like, all right, you're going to have to speak. Like, like I'll, I'll talk, <laughs> but like it can't be me talking anymore because <laughs> yeah. I've been talking long enough and yeah. I got nothing to say. Like, if you want to say something through me, like I want to be willing, you know? Yeah. Um, but just kind of like that switch. Wow. Thanks a bunch for sharing, man. And just yeah. for sitting down and taking the time. Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm really, I'm getting old, so <laughs> sitting and just being able to hang out in the midst of a lot of craziness and stuff is awesome. Being able to share stories and stuff is pretty sick. And Praise Jesus, man. Like, I'm, I'm so glad that he chooses us <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> like, we all love Jesus, and he chose us first, and that's, that's – I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> man. I'm done. That's awesome. It's well, heck, yeah. Well, thank so, you for – Yeah, for sure. Um, so if uh, anyone wants to keep up with, like, what – you have going on with the band or oh, other things okay, yeah. can they Sleeping check it you know Sleeping Giant's Facebook page is probably a pretty good place to do all that stuff I think that's like our social media stuff and then um, our ministry our ministry in Salt Lake City like we we've had the opportunity to like connect with a whole bunch of like leaders and church planners and like people from all over the world that are doing kingdom stuff kind of in our subculture and so our ministry is called the Rev Gatherings and so if people go to the revgatherings.com, that's like kind of where you can, if you have prayer requests or just want to like get to know us or something like once a year, we have a big get- gathering and get together in Salt Lake City and people come from all over um, right at the end of September, like the very first weekend of October. And so we're doing that this year in Salt Lake nice. and have cool friends. Our friends, or my friend Asher sings for bands called Loud Harp and they're like phenomenal. And so they're, he's going to come and sing and do some worship and stuff and my friend Jake Hamilton came last year and led worship and stuff. And we just have 
people that just make their way from the UK and Central and South America and Mexico and like just all oh the gosh. states and like you know anyway so it's pretty cool it's like a pretty sick <clears throat> kind of little weekend so the Rev Gatherings is how you can check on our ministry and then Sleeping Giant you can just kind of look it up online and we're writing a record right now and so you know that'll be I guess cool I don't know I'm trying to figure out I think I can't I can't tell if we're like at that stage where I'm like we're just played out and it's like it's cool something though and I'm just the old dudes that are writing music that like some people like most most of the young kids are like those guys that dude's like 35 he's like four kids what the hell's the matter with that guy so I'm gonna tell you something anyway <laughs> death nail is my ringtone that wakes me up every morning oh sick Hey, that's a newer song. Thanks for liking a newer song. Yeah. Dude, I'm not even kidding. Yo, I, can I tell song. you a crazy story about that? So Death Now, I wrote we wrote I wrote that because um, it, right around it, during the Nazi regime in Germany, um, Adolf Hitler made a bell, and it, the bell they used for the um, Berlin Olympics, I think, and and in, inscribed around the bell was um, "I summon the youth of the world." And I was like, that is so antichrist. Like this guy <laughs> is like, he wants this sound to go out and summon the people to him. Well, like during the Reformation, they put roosters on the steeples of churches for the sign of like a new dawn. And when the bells would go out, they wanted people to hear hope. And so I thought, you stole the sound of hope and you want to draw people to you. Mm-hmm. Well, like there's a Selah, like a Selah, like a, a musical Hebrew musical term from the Psalms and it's called a death knell Selah and it's literally like before the Israel lights would go out to battle they would they have reed pipes and um, shofars and the shout and they would lift up the sound that would sp- it's like split the ear shout to the heights and they called it a death knell Selah and it was a prophetic declaration that like we've already won and so but it was based in that thing of Germany so my friend Ben his name's Ben um, uh, uh, Fitzgerald. Blah, 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 blah. Anyways, <laughs> he he did an event in Germany. It was called like Europe Awakening or something like that. And it was just in that site where that whole thing happened. And they called all of Europe to like Jesus in this thing. And I was like, I can't believe you just did that. I wrote a song about that. And like, no one knows it, but I wrote it. That was awesome. <laughs> Anyways, my fr- anyway, so, so I'm glad you like Death Knell, but I, I'm pumped because I feel like as we're catching these little like stuff, our generation is like, we're going to change the world for sure. We're taking yeah. this serious. Like we're going where Adolf Hitler called the nations of the world to this horrific thing and we're going to redeem it and we're going to call the nations of the world to the Lord. And like, we don't care. We're doing this. So glory to God. That's sweet. Death Knell. So that's sick. Thanks, man. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much, Tommy. And uh, if you want to check out our website, letgoddie.com. Um, feel free to subscribe on iTunes, Feedly, or SoundCloud. And um, until next time, thanks so much for your time.
played an important role in the days of battle. In the days of David, for example, when the enemies would come against God's people, David would give the command and they would raise up a sound called a death knell silah. That was the sound of the shofars and the reed pipes declaring victory over the enemies even before the battle. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to see what else we're up to, uh, to listen to past episodes, you can head over to LetGodDie.com. And if you want to check out the extended cut of this episode, search Let God Die on YouTube. If you'd like to help us continue doing what we do, you can head over to LetGodDie.com and click on the support tab. Any contribution would be much appreciated. Thank you so much for your time, and we will see you next week.